We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 189. Andrew is out in California at a wedding. I got our boy Dom stepping in on the mic. Dom, what's going on? Nothing much, man. Happy to be here. You know, this is another game that is absolutely frustrating as a Yankee fan to watch because when you limit these guys to four runs, two two two-to-one ball games, and you don't come out of Houston with a win... One, first of all, you take a step back and you're, and you're saying, I'm going to Houston, I'm going to give up two runs per game. You're expecting a W at that point. The way that it went down, there's just a lot of frustrating things that happened. Yesterday was, was another frustrating day. Combine it with Friday. Um, thank God the Yankees are going back to the Bronx. But I don't know about you, man, but I, I, was, I was screaming at my television last night. Yeah, uh, just two pretty much excruciating losses back to back. Can't limit the mistakes. Uh, you know, in the first game, it was the bird thing. Um, last night, it was Guardy. Uh, and then, you know, you can't execute that play at the end of the game to maybe force extras there. It's just really frustrating, man. And uh, Dallas Keuchel and Justin Verlander, got to tip your cap to them. You know, the game plan, I think, for the Yanks was to, you know, scrape across a couple runs, get to that weak Houston middle relief, and they really just weren't able to get it done. 
and I think that's where we need to start is is with Verlander because obviously he was one of the biggest difference makers. He's the storyline of uh, of last night's game. The guy came in. You knew I've been talking about this with Andrew. Like this is a guy that to me doesn't have any signs of showing that he's aging to the point where his stuff is diminished. I mean, it's there. His stuff is he's still throwing high nineties. Uh, he's locating ridiculously. His his off speed stuff is is there and. You could tell from the very first pitch, from the very first inning yesterday, that Verlander was on. He was spotting his fastball. He was dropping that curve in. He was working pretty much his entire arsenal was was on point. And when he's locating like that, you got you got some severe problems. And if you're not jumping on anything in the strike zone, you're in big trouble because uh, we saw exactly what happened last night. The Yankees just can't hit the freaking curveball out of the zone, and they're chasing everything. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts? What did you think about Verlander first inning? Like first thoughts when you're seeing him come out of the gate? Well, coming out of the gate, I thought Gardy had a good AB. Um, then he gets judged to K, gets him in another 0-2 count. But right away, you kind of saw his stuff was there. You know, and this is kind of a game where I think that Verlander is out in the bullpen warming up pregame. And he's like, all right, all my stuff is working. That four-pitch arsenal, like you said, the fastball, the change the curve, the hard slider. As a hitter, you don't know what to anticipate. He had everything working. Guy throws 124 pitches, and in the eighth inning when he's past the 100-pitch mark, the guy is still touching 98. So he's obviously still got it, and he brought it last night in a major way. And they just weren't really able to scrape anything across aside from that Frazier RBI double. I mean, he's got a rubber arm. The, he's he's a he's like Severino in the sense that, like at the end of the game, you're not going to lose the velocity. You see Severino still hanging out at 97, 98 when he gets into the seventh inning during the regular season. Verlander's the same way. He's always been that way. He's a, he's a guy who can who can go in there and throw his. You're not looking at pitch count when you're uh, when you're with Verlander. He's he's the Nolan Ryan type. I bet Nolan Ryan sitting behind the freaking uh, home home plate is loving watching him pitch because he's definitely one of those throwback guys. But you got to get to him early. And if you're not if you're not getting to him early, Verlander's the type of kid that's going to go in there and just find his groove, and he's got a game plan. I mean, you could tell early on he was trying to throw fastballs, 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 um, locate those fastballs, so that later on in the in the you know in the when he's going through the second and third time in the lineup, he's going to start dropping those uh, the, the hard slider, the changeup, and that's what happened. The Yankees started swinging at all the bad pitches, not taking advantage of those uh, fastball strikes, and you're screwed. You're absolutely screwed against Verlander when you're doing that. Yeah, and Houston, this was pretty much how they drew it up. I mean, they don't want to show guys like Davinsky and guys like even their closer, Giles. I mean, the 17th-ranked bullpen in the league, that is clearly one of the few weak points of this team. And for Verlander to go out there and give you nine innings, I mean, it's just unbelievable. Unbelievable. The lack of depth um, really in that bullpen is what the Yanks needed to get to. They were unable to get to it, and really that's the reason why we're heading back to the Bronx with a 2-0 deficit now. All right, so before we get into some of the game situations, let's talk about why that is, uh, why that's the case, why Verlander was able to go nine innings. And I think when we're looking at, obviously, the glaring, the glaring weakness right now, Judge and Sanchez are completely off. I mean, completely off. You add Didi into that mix, and I, I hate doing this because Didi's been so good, but you got to look at that when you're ta- when you're talking about your two, three, four hitter. Uh, combined for the first two games, two for twenty-two. That is not going to get it done. Obviously, that is a big reason why these uh, these starters are having such success. When you have the middle of your order like that, um, 
striking out at, at ridiculous rates too. I mean, Judge and Sanchez to combine. Everybody's talking about Judge's strikeouts, but Sanchez is not far off. He's, dude's right there striking out, looking confused and lost against these breaking balls. Yeah, I mean, Sanchez, uh, I wrote it down in the notes. Uh, he was lost the whole game. He had two at-bats where he struck out on three pitches. It was just kind of like he was up there, and it was good morning, good afternoon, and good night. Take a seat on the bench. He didn't have a good approach yesterday, and he really didn't have a good approach against Keuchel on Friday night either. And uh, your boy Ryan Rucco, I thought, summed it up pretty well in a tweet where he said that he, the Houston Stars, Altuve and Correa, have been getting it done the first two games. Uh, Correa has been the Yankee killer. This year's 14 for 28 and 500, two doubles, two homers, 10 ribs, seven runs in seven games versus the Yanks this year. And then you got Judge, Didi, and Sanchez struggling. And those are the guys that the Yankees have relied on this year to you know, put up a pretty decent offensive output and not be able to get the job done results in the two losses here. They're not going away either. <laughs> These dudes are going to be around for a, a long time. It's it's crazy when you think about that that production and, and you know to just a little bit more on Ruko's tweet saying that those are the guys those their superstars are, are showing up ours aren't. When you see the the difference in uh, not age when you look at the number but the, the the time that they've been in the major leagues um, compared to our guys. Obviously these guys are a little bit more seasoned. They have some playoff experience. They have uh, time together and. I think you're seeing that more of a cohesive unit, more of a cohesive game plan, whereas Judge and Sanchez, I, you know, I'm not going to say it's too big for them because I don't think that's the case. I do think that they're pressing a bit and they're not. Uh, I, but I think that also the Houston pitching is getting them out of their comfort zone. And that's the reason they're pressing. I don't think it has anything to do with the stage. I think it's just the pitching has been that good. And these guys are they're kind of lost because Keuchel and Verlander are just completely have their number and their game plan is being executed to a T. Yeah, I mean, to get in a groove against pitchers like Dallas Keuchel and Justin Verlander, those are not the kind of guys you're going to have have it happen with. I mean, and you're seeing it firsthand here. I mean, hopefully game three, you got Charlie Morton on the mound. Um, Yanks collectively have a 327 average against him, so you got to just shift your focus to Monday, um, leave these games in the past, and hopefully just – you know, take some extra reps in the cages and um, refocus pretty much. And it seems like these guys are, they're one, they're used to, we all know that they're, they're good coming back. Oh, two, like that's, that doesn't phase them at this point. They, they know that they got to do the whole one game, the whole cliche answer of, of let's go one game at a time. Let's just win this game. I mean, yeah, that's, that's the cliche answer, but that's exactly what they got to do. They got to go out there and, and just focus on winning Monday uh, with, with CC as a stopper. We'll, we'll talk about that game a little bit and preview it uh, a little bit later. One of the big things that happened in this game, obviously the the first two innings, uh, Sevy was on too. Sevy was pitching really well. I mean, you could see that he got into a little bit of trouble, had a huge double play uh, turned to to get out of um, the inning in the second inning. And you know we're gonna we're gonna talk more about this. I hate I hate being this being a narrative, but it's a, it's impossible to ignore the strike zone. It's just impossible to ignore the bottom of the strike zone when you're talking about what's what was going. It's just it wasn't good to anybody, but it, it's it felt like when you're looking at the um, the meat of the order, those guys that we're talking about, one judge is is getting the bat taken out of his hand when that low strike is called. When that when that strike below his knee in the middle of his shin is called as the first pitch, and he's going down 0-1, he's screwed. He's the bat's out of his hand. I don't want him swinging at that pitch personally. I, I think that's that's a pitch he needs to lay off. He needs to be trained to lay off that. 
But if the umpires are calling it a strike, he's in deep, deep shit. And at some point, at some point, he's going to have to go off on these guys and say something. Or Girardi, someone's going to step in and say something because it's a, it's a big problem. Yeah, and it's, it wasn't only Judge. In the eighth inning, there was a questionable call on Frazier. And I think the whole game, really, the umps hurt the Yanks more than the Astros there. That bottom of the zone, like you talked about, the knee kind of shin level, uh, it was just so inconsistent the whole night for, I think, both sides. But really, it hurt the Yanks more. And Judge, uh, the guys in an 0-2 or 1-2 count every time. All four at-bats, he was 0-2, 1-2. And like you said, it's either he gets that call at the knees or he doesn't get it and then he's down 0-1 the next pitch he either misses or takes and he's down 0-2 it's impossible to have success as a hitter if you're constantly in a defensive count where you need to protect the plate and hit with two strikes I mean that's just kind of the the way baseball goes I mean how are you supposed to hit down 0-2 1-2 every time you're at the plate and it's not all the ums fault I think there's been some circumstances here in the past two games where Judge has had good pitches to hit and he hasn't got the bad head out or he just is missing is missing the ball. I mean, you're talking about a guy who last series set the playoff record um, for, for strikeouts in a series, in a five-game series. So the guy is just not there right now. But, you know, back to the umps, I mean, you got to be a little bit better than that for me. When you're watching a game, you shouldn't have to talk about the umpires. You know what I mean? Yeah, but they're always. I mean, we're always going to be talking about the umpires as fans. Andrew and right. I were going apeshit about this uh, the strike zone, the actual box that's on the screen. That's such a distraction because when you're watching the game, it's the first thing you see: the ball going through. Or like, oh, did it make it through that window? The window that's in my face every single at bat. Did it go through that window? Did it not go through that window? As a fan watching the game, it's a distraction. the 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 problem to me though is like. You're looking at what happened. We, we just we just acknowledged that both sides, the umpire was not great for both sides. Yeah, I think there was um, more calls, you know, going towards the Astros' ways. But I can't use that as an excuse because the the approach from the Yankees batters, from Judge and Sanchez, they didn't make that adjustment. You know that the, the bottom of the zone is going to be inconsistent. If you know that, you got to protect it. And if you don't protect it, you go down L1, you got to be looking fastball then. Look fastball because if you get it, you got to strike. If you're getting another uh, breaking ball low in the zone, that's another story. But if you're getting that 0-1 fastball like Verlander did throw, you got to be ready for it. And the Yankees didn't have that approach. To me, when you're looking at those at-bats, that was a problem. And they didn't make their adjustments. Whereas Houston, you're looking at those two guys, they made their adjustments. And obviously, what happened in the ninth inning, it paid off. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um can we, can we touch upon some missed opportunities here, too? In the third inning, Gardy hits that double, gets thrown out at third to end the inning. Um, really just a terrible base running play. Uh, they did have some good at-bats where they hit the ball hard. I know Headley kind of got robbed. He had good numbers coming in career versus Verlander, and he hit two rockets. Reddick made a good play at the wall. Um, but really, this this Gardner play, why don't you just let Judge try to drive you in from second base? Like, it, it doesn't make sense to me. And uh, I know Espada waved him to third, but, I mean, just got to be better than that. So that, that whole play was screwed. When you're looking at the play, I mean, Gardy made a, a hell of a play. I tweeted this out during the uh, during that right after that at bat. It was a great at bat. It was a great hit, and it was an absolutely unforgivable base running error. And when you look at what happened, I was watching the play live, and when when the ball when the um, when the throw was coming in to the cutoff, 
And I saw Gardy turning. I'm like, what is happening? Because you could see almost that he was looking up as he's approaching second base. And I don't think he slowed up, but he you could tell that there was hesitation on his face. Like he wasn't he wasn't expecting to go to third. And he looked up and saw Espada and it just looked like he turned it on just a bit more. I know there were uh, people tweeting out that it was one of the faster first to thirds of of the year. And that's fine. But when you're not expecting to go to third, rounding, uh, approaching second base, it's just a, your, your turns are different. He definitely had a wide turn going around second base. And the, the relay was there. Uh, and then Bregman made a nice tag. You just can't do it. You just can't do it. You, I, I'm, I'm not going to um, expect a pass ball from Justin Verlander. And that's the reason you're doing it. Too many people talking about the pass ball. That's the reason you get. No, that's ridiculous. You can't expect the pass ball. You cannot play for a pass ball. You play for a hit, not a not an error by uh, the pitcher. Yeah, I mean, just stay in scoring position with two outs. You're definitely scoring on a hit either way. We all know how Guardy runs. Yeah, he ain't um, Greg Bird. Right, exactly. So, I mean, as you said, that that little hesitation cost him you know, the base there though. I mean, it was a bang, bang play. He just got him. He got him by a centimeter. Yeah. And it was a good tag. I mean, the, the throw was actually off. Bregman snagged the tag and brought it all the way across the bag um, to get Guardy. It was a good tag. The, the relay. I mean, if you look at the, um, the relay that was thrown, I mean, it was, it was a, it was a nice throw and it was, it was quick. I mean, he got rid of it quickly. Um, that's on a spot though. I mean, that's, that's on a spot of being too aggressive. You listen to Joe afterwards talking about the play and, I don't know. Hindsight, you're looking at that. Obviously, he's not going to throw his his guy under the bus, but you know he was saying that that's that's the call. You cannot be running, uh, making that uh, trying to stretch it to third. There's just no reason for it at that point. So, yeah, 100% on Espada. That was a missed opportunity. Who knows if Judge comes through? But you got to at least give him the opportunity. He came through the other night when Bird was on second. Obviously, he didn't score, but you got to give him that that position again. Yeah, absolutely. And then the very next inning, of course, Correa uh, goes deep. Oppo barely makes it over the wall. Get a little Jeff uh, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Mayer situation going on. Situation, yeah. Um, did Judge pull up? <laughs> I fired up. Yeah, I fired up Twitter with my tweet. Pretty big time. Uh, I sent out a tweet on on Bronx Pinstripe saying uh, I was I was completely it, it was completely in jest that I'm like I'm just gonna. I'm pretty much just talking shit at this point because I saw what happened. First of all, let's get Judge didn't get to the ball. He didn't get to the position. He really didn't have a chance at that ball. When you look at the replay and you see that he pulled up, one, he was pulling up because the wall was there, and then the kid was right there. So it was very obvious and very uh it was very convenient that that kid was there. I don't think the kid went over. Um if Judge was closer to the play, I think it may have been some kind of an interference at that point. Uh but I think if he's behind the wall, you know, the 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 fan has the the right to go after the ball if it's beyond the, the the wall and the scope of play. Girardi was talking about getting one of those cameras down the, the wall line. I don't know. I, I just I think it's one of those plays where obviously the fan's going to go after it. If he's not reaching over, then it is what it is. Um, but no, I do not think that Judge pulled up because of the kid. I think he pulled up because of the wall. And I don't, I don't think he was getting there in the first place. I think uh, I don't think he really had a shot at the at the catch. Yeah, no, I don't think so either. He didn't have a great beat on it. Uh, the ball was going over the wall anyway, but I mean... It just how, how baseball is a game of inches. It's really crazy to me. Like Headley hits one good. If he gets that a little bit more, maybe that's a homer. That changes the whole complexion of the game. I don't know. Maybe Correa's doesn't make it over. Just hits the top of the wall. You know, it just barely makes it over, and then that wound up being a pretty defining moment in the game. I can tell you one thing: Mets and Red Sox Twitter came out in groves, just talking and whining about Yankees fans and how. And how unbelievable we are, and how, how how we're the absolute worst 
because we can't acknowledge if something happens against our team, that's it's our guy's fault. No, no, no. It's because uh, he pulled up for a kid, right? It was, it was a, it was, it was pretty entertaining reading the uh, the, the responses. So if you want to get a good laugh um, at, at a at a tweet that was sent out, obviously not 100 percent serious. Go read that because it's funny. They're all crying like a little bunch of babies, not having anything else to do but talk shit against the Yankees. Um, fifth inning, Verlander comes back out. His pitch count's starting to get high. That's when I'm like, okay, uh, his his pitch count's getting into the 70s mark. Work some counts here. Let's let's get a little bit deeper. I think we're close. I think we're close to Verlander's. Um, you know, maybe maybe he's tiring. It looked like he was uh, he was starting to to slow down a little bit, but then. Verlander just came back out and had another clean inning and got his pitch count back in order and the middle relief never came. So uh, I think that was a, a, a crucial point when you're at, in the fifth inning, middle of the game like that, Verlander's at 71 pitches and then he just turns it back on. Yeah, unbelievable. I mean, 71 pitches through five. You thought you were going to get something on the board there. And actually, they did get something on the board there, but he starts the inning with strikeouts of Bird and Castro. Maybe if they get on, then you get the back-to-back doubles. Um, from Hicks and Frazier to make it a 1-1 game. Um, I and that mean, was a weird double, right? The Frazier where it got so... That park is crazy. When you look at how short left field is, but how high the fence is, and then center field, it's so damn deep. Um, Fra- I mean, what did that go? 409 and it got caught. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was like, I don't know, 15 feet up and caught in the netting. I mean, that's a that's a bomb everywhere else. That's out, I think, at most parks. Every Almost every park, it's out. Yeah, uh, there's no doubt Except about maybe, it. maybe, yeah, I mean... So definitely a bad break there. Um, and then Sev comes out of the game um, after the fourth inning. And after the game, actually, he said, I don't know why Joe pulled me. I was fine. So you look at what happened when Joe came out there. Obviously, there was some concern. I guess they were looking at him stretching his arm. Uh, they were, he was doing something with his shoulder. And it just seems like Girardi right now, it seems like ever since that, 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 uh, that game where he didn't, uh, challenge the uh, the hit at bat. I feel like he's being very ultra conservative, and he doesn't want to get one of those like really bad screw ups. You could tell you could tell that uh, you know the the play with Bird where it was pretty clear that he was out. They challenged that play um, to to just make sure. And he even made made comments after the game saying that hey, I'm gonna do it. Of course I'm gonna do it. I'm not gonna make that mistake again. I felt like this was also a very conservative play. Sevy says he's fine. They pull him anyway. Uh, Joe says after the game, I'm not going to go out there. Uh, I'm going to be conservative. He's a young guy throwing a lot of innings. I don't know. To me at that point, Severino even was talking about this. He's like, if I'm hurt, I'm not going to go out there and, and say I'm not hurt. I'm not going to you know, put my, my career in jeopardy. I'm going to go out there and, and tell them. So I was fine. There was, no, there was no reason for them to be taken out. I thought that was a, a little bit too of a conservative move by, Joe, uh, by Girardi. Yeah, I think he's definitely managing a little bit scared, but he has, like, I mean, he can afford to. He brings in Canely, who has just been so nasty. Um, He's gone seven innings this postseason. Guy hasn't even given up a hit. Um, So he gave us a quality. He's um, fired up, too. Every time he comes out, fired up. So fired up. It's so much fun to watch him, yeah. So he's just got that power changeup. It is just disgusting. And then he's just been locating that fastball that's, pretty much touch and triple digits. Yeah, I love the... Uh, I I'm trying to remember who it was, and I, I thought at one point, I had him compared to uh, like a Bob Wickman back in the day. Someone said David Weathers, but someone would do that glove flap. You know how he does like the glove clap before, while he gets set, he like flaps his glove. Someone used to do that for the Yankees, and I can't remember who it was. So if you're listening, 
shout me on Twitter on who, who that was. It was Weathers or Bob Wickman. I can't remember. But he reminds me of Bob Wickman. He's like a bulldog. Um, but dude fires me up when he's out there. Obviously, the Yankees can rely on that. Two quality from Canely. That's that's huge. He had a big strikeout of Altuve. Was fired up. Um, like you said, yet to give up a hit in seven innings of work in the postseason. That's a guy who, you know, I think towards the end of the season started to rewrite the track because in the middle of September, after a very hot start when he came over from the trade, he kind of got off the rails, was uh, lost his command, and that was one of his big strengths. And he's all the way back. I mean, he's all the way back. You can rely on him for for anything uh, in this series. I mean, he's, he's definitely built the confidence for Girardi. But you go out there for Verlander, in the seventh inning, he comes out and strikes out another uh, another horrible at bat from strikeout uh, from Gary Sanchez. Three pitch strikeout, like you said earlier, it was good morning, good afternoon, good night. That was his tenth strikeout, and uh, you got a stat on that. I think he had some it was some ridiculous streak. Yeah, that's the seventh straight game Yankee hitters have struck out ten times. That's pathetic. At, at least ten times. That's pathetic. That's terrible. That's. That's, that goes back to the reason why this, this team is so hit or miss when they don't hit a home run. If you don't hit a home run, they're not scoring, and it's because they're striking out so many goddamn times. How do you string anything together? Yeah, I mean, just put the ball in play. You saw last series with the Indians, who are traditionally a good defensive team. They made mistakes. You know, the pressure's on. It's the postseason. Go out there and put the ball in play. Like, you can't just go and strike out every time. It's so frustrating to watch. Finally, somebody steps up and says something to the umpires in the eighth inning. Verlander came back out. Obviously, he pitched a complete game. But in the eighth inning, Frazier strikes out looking and starts getting mouthy with the uh, with the umpire. Obviously, Frazier's the kind of guy that's going to do that. Like he can't he can't control that. And I love that about him. I I want someone to say something. I mean, that had to be done. You got to stand up for the strike zone at some point. Girardi has to. Somebody has to do it because the way that it's been, you can't let your guys keep going out there, especially Judge and, and Sanchez, especially Judge, getting that low strike. Somebody's got to get thrown out of a game. Somebody's got to be uh, you know, boisterous with the umpires and stand up for these guys. They got to know that that's not acceptable to be calling that shin-high strike. It just it sets them up for terrible at-bats, and I, I, you just can't have it anymore. Girardi's got to be a, a man and step out there. And he did come out, but it was a very cordial conversation. It didn't seem like he was ready to get thrown out. Yeah, I wouldn't have minded if he actually got tossed there. Yeah, I me think either. I would have riled him up. But what are you going to do? That, I mean, that's, a, that's a play. Like you're, That's the play where he should be going out there and, and being fired up. Um, you know, Have the confidence in your bench coach to, to take care of that game. But you got to do something to spark this team. This, the team can't get anything done. They can't get anything done. Why not try to spark something and support your guy a little bit more and get fired up? I think it would have been a good play. Yeah, and then in the ninth inning, Verlander, of course, comes back out. Um, never let a leadoff guy on all nine innings, which is obviously key. Um, in keeping the Yanks to just one run. Judge, again, goes into 0-2 count, and then um, you know Verlander finishes off uh, with a stat line at nine innings pitched, five hits, one earned, 13 Ks. Um, he's with John Smoltz, Cliff Lee, and Randy Johnson, uh, among those with multiple 10-plus K performances against the Yankees in the postseason. So when you're looking at the approach from Verlander too, I mean, tell me your thoughts on on the game plan too. Because when I'm looking back and I'm seeing how many pitches he threw, how many strikes he threw, and and where he was locating that fastball, to me it's like they were not they were they were being too conservative in their approach um, when they were going after him. They were almost treating him more like some of these other finesse guys uh, that they've seen with Cleveland and then with Keuchel, and they were you know they were trying to work the count. 
to me, you cannot work the count as much with Verlander because one, he's got a rubber arm. He's going to go deep in the game. You got to be more aggressive. And to me, they just weren't, they weren't aggressive at all with his fastball. And I think that was one of the huge points for, for why they couldn't get to him. Yeah, especially earlier in the count. I, th- I feel like Verlander is the type of guy that's going to try to challenge you. Yeah. So you got to have it ready. Uh, first pitch looking fastball. Have to. Yeah, so we go to the ninth inning. And this is when the big players for Houston came out big. Uh, Chapman gets a first, first, uh, first out. Altuve comes up. Of course, the, the pesky little Altuve. I, I joked the other day, but I'm kind of serious now. <laughs> I really think that uh, Ronald Torres needs to go out there and just just fight Altuve. I think we just need to get two little men going at it and uh, and just get him off his game. I think it would be perfect for us to watch, too. I think it would fire us up. I would love to see that. It would be yeah. a good fight. It would be a good fight. But Altuve gets on single, and then uh, Correa does. He works the count. You could tell that Chapman – uh, Chapman was tr- he went to a couple sliders in that at bat trying to get him to chase and he just wasn't chasing. You could tell Correa was sitting fastball. He was if if Chapman was going to throw a slider, he was going to let him throw it. He was sitting fastball, um, and then he just went with that went into right field with a double. And then we obviously know what happened there. What, you tell me because uh, I know you and I had similar thoughts on on the way that Judge played that ball. Yeah, so Judge plays this ball well off the wall, like. As good as anybody could play it, but then well, he, he throw, actually cut it off. He got to the ball before it got to the wall. Oh, that's right, actually. Yes. So he he did make a pretty good play out there. And then he's obviously rushing that throw back. He knows the speedy Altuve might try to push it. Um once that throw misses Castro, that's where the whole play kind of went to shit. Because now Didi has to rush. Correa is kind of in his face. The short hop throw to Gary, who can't come up with it. If he comes up with it, he's dead to rights. He would have been out by a mile. Um, just the losing baseball play, uh, just unbelievable. I was so stunned at the way that game ended. It was just unbelievable. And but, but like I feel like people are overlooking him missing the cutoff, man. If that ball goes to Castro, he's in like that short right field area. Like that's a good area where he can turn and make a throw without anybody in his face. Uh, and see, I agree with you, and I don't think that's talked about enough. I think when you're looking at the post game and you're and you're uh, and you're hearing all the interviews. Uh, you know, I think that was kind of glanced over a lot. And Girardi kept saying that that uh, Judge did the job and got his, got the ball to uh, to Didi, the guy who's got the the strongest arm in the infield. And obviously, he's got the strongest arm. But there is so much time lost when the ball gets past Castro, bounces, Didi picks it up, and then has to throw off balance. Uh, obviously, short hops it because Correa is there um, with the pop up slide. But to me, I think if if he hits Castro. Even if Castro doesn't have a stronger arm, he doesn't need to. He just needs to make a decent throw into the plate. He could have freaking bounced it into the plate uh, and had plenty of time for for Sanchez. Obviously, he's got to come up with it. But that's the um, that that to me was the difference as well. I think if you hit your cutoff man at that point, no problems. I think it's a it's a super easy play, even easier than it looked because right even even with missing the guy, you, they should have made the play. Yeah, it's just baseball one on one. You hit the cutoff, you throw it home, you have him dead to rights. He wasn't even close. I saw a still shot of when the ball got into Gary. The ball beat him there by maybe 10, maybe even 15 yards. That being said, Judge tried to get the ball in as fast as he could. You could tell he right. threw off balance. He wasn't. He didn't set his feet to get the ball and, and really make a strong throw in. Um, he was just trying to chuck it in, and that's when it went over Castro. But um, bottom line, at the end of the day, Didi made a, a good play. Correa comes up. People were crying for interference. 
Well, I don't think it was interference. He slid directly into the bag, did a pop-up slide. Just so happened he was there. Didn't really lean into Didi or make any attempt to get in Didi's way other than coming up from the slide. And I think if you look at the rule based on that, because there was no, you know, leaning into the player or any other extracurricular activity by Correa, it was a, it was not interference. Um, but it definitely interfered with the play. Uh, but Sanchez has got to come up with that ball. He he definitely was looking back for the tag before the ball was in his glove and just didn't see it all the way in. Yeah, and back to Correa, you know, he's running the second, so he sees everything that's happening in front of him. That's a totally legal play. That's a good baseball play. I feel like anybody would do that. You have to do the pop-up slide. You know he's running home and trying to make a throw to the plate. Anything to get in the way a little bit, um, which which he did perfectly. So there's so, really nothing wrong with it. Sanchez, uh, he did block the ball, though. I mean, he blocked it in front of him. He blocked yeah. it, yeah. yeah that's a good, he, that's a good he block. He squared it up, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think somebody needs to tell him when he is to block the ball and catch it, though. It's, uh, he might be confused on that. Oh. All right, so we go down 0-2. Again, backs to the wall. Uh, obviously, seven-game series, so it's not uh, totally against the wall. It's not an elimination game. But the, the nice thing is that the Yankees are going back to the Bronx for three. To me, that sets up very nicely for the way that this uh, the series is. Um, the, the Yankees are obviously much better at home. The offense should be much better when you're going up against Charlie Morton. As of right now when we're recording, they haven't announced a, a Game 4 starter, but you're looking at most likely McCullers. Um, Colin McHugh is on the roster as well, so maybe that's a guy that they could think of. Um, uh, and then uh, what's the other bird guy? Uh, Peacock. Peacock's the other starter yeah. that they have too. So there's there's three guys that they could go with, most likely going to be Colors. Um, I, I'd say Peacock would be uh, the second guy. I, I don't see them going to McHugh just because he's uh, he's been hurt. Uh, but talking about Game 3, obviously we got the guy we want, right? We got the stopper. We got CC 9-0 uh, during the regular season after a Yankees loss. He's the guy. He's the stopper. He's the Andy Pettit of this season, um, of this team, and he's the guy you want. So you got to be feel, feeling confident going into that game. Yeah, I mean, by no means are they out of this. Uh, they're heading back home where they have the best home record in the AL, 51-31. and 31. They're 3-0 and there this postseason. Um uh, we were at the wild card game. I was also at ALDS game three. The atmosphere in the stadium has just been awesome. So expect on Monday night the Bronx to be jumping. That stadium was rocking. Um, I am really confident the Yankees offense needs to wake up. They need to dig into Charlie Morton and whoever the hell goes uh, in game four. I mean, they just have to wake up these bats. I have a lot of confidence in CeCe to go out there and give us another quality outing. The bullpen should be decently rested. You got to win game by game. You got to go out there and get a W on Monday night. So you're looking at that Monday night. Obviously, they're going to have to be aggressive. Charlie Morton's not a guy you're going to dick around with. You got to go up there ready to hit Charlie Morton and attack him. Obviously, Yankee Stadium, the the ballpark plays well to what the Yankees do. They know the ballpark. Uh, 100% home field advantage. You just talked about how they have the best record in the AL. Um, I got a ton of confidence in there. The, the, the one thing that the, we need to see from here on, one, we need to see uh, Judge having better at-bats. It just has to happen. This, this team can't win with Judge um, striking out at the – Judge and Sanchez striking out with the, you know, the, the, the amount of times that they have done. You can't have your, your two, three, four guys um, because they move DD back into the three spot. You can't have your two and four guy striking out at the uh, at the number that they are. You just can't. You're not going to win ball games. It's not going to happen. Um, so that's got to be carried. Who do you start at DH? Because that's one thing we haven't talked about. We should probably touch on. Uh, there is uh, there are people pining for 
Ronald Torres to be the designated hitter. I don't, I don't hate it. I mean, you look at the options, you look at the offensive output you've gotten from the DH, which has zero, zero, abysmal, abysmal. So I don't know. I, I like the move to give Holiday a shot finally in game one. But I mean, he's rusty. He hasn't seen live in game reps since September. He hadn't played in the DS. And he looked bad. Game. He didn't look good. He had yeah, three no, bad at bats. Yeah. So I don't think you give him another shot. Um, I maybe maybe Ellsbury. I think I would I would just throw Ellsbury in there. Yeah, the it, I think it's going to be between Ellsbury and Headley. Obviously, Headley is uh, Headley had probably two of the better swings against Verlander. He did. I mean, he hit two deep balls. Those are uh, th- those are in, in a different in a different park. Uh, could be a different story. But I think it's interesting, you know, having a guy like Ronald Torres who gets on base a lot, who's a pesky hitter, who can work in at bat. Uh, I, I definitely think it's an interesting thought. I know, I know everybody's boy, not my boy, but everybody else's boy, Arod was 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 talking about having Therese go in there and uh, and be the designated hitter. I think it's a different story. I think that would have made a lot more sense if uh, if they did it in Houston. Uh, when you're coming home, I don't know. To me, that's when you can probably rely more on either Ellsbury or Chase Headley at that DH spot, and especially against a guy like Charlie Morton. Yeah, I mean, it also just sucks that we're at this point where we're literally considering putting our five, six backup middle infielder in the DH spot. It's just, it's just unbelievable. So who knows? All right. Well, we'll be obviously back for after uh, post game game three. Andrew should be back in town at that point. Um, what are your uh, any any last thoughts going into Monday night with uh, with the big man CC on the bump? Oh well, listen if. The trio of DD, Gary, and Judge go two for 22 over the course of these next two games. I think we are getting swept. So they need to wake up, and that's pretty much the bottom line. I think they will go out and win game three. And then at, from that point, you just got to take it game by game. The advantage um, is, is the Yankees right now. They're heading back home, getting two probably on the weaker side starting pitchers. So the offense needs to wake up, and they need to win these ball games. All right, you said it from uh, from your mouth to God's ears. Let's hope this happens. CC needs to pitch. Uh, let's let's get these boys going. Game three, let's go, boys. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine. Stop noticing. But you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over 3 million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not ready hour foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. 
Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com. 